Okay, so let's start with a point about the poetic form. Um, the stanzas, um, the four-line stanzas, are in iambic tetrameter for the first three lines of each stanza. So that's um, four pairs of iams, so unstressed, stressed. Tis time this heart should be unmoved. Um, but you will see that the fourth line of each stanza is much shorter. It's iambic dimeter, so only four syllables, two iambic feet. So perhaps this gives a sense um, of the, the fourth line being cut short, much like Byron feels that his life um, is going to be cut short as well. So there is that kind of sense of of disappointment, of of the the stanzas don't quite feel complete because the the way that the meter um, finishes so abruptly in the fourth line of each stanza. Um, the poem begins then with Byron talking of his heart. His heart, it's time his heart should be unmoved since others it hath ceased to move. So this idea that he has ceased to move others with his heart seems to be a reference to unrequited love. And we know that contextually Byron had experienced unrequited love shortly before writing this poem. Um, because his affections for his young Greek page were not requited. Um, so is there maybe a sense of, of kind of, of giving up that he, you know, he feels that it's time that his, his heart should be unmoved now. Um, but there is a turn um, on the third line signalled by yet, yet, though I cannot be beloved, still let me love. So even though there is this feeling of, of perhaps futility and isolation that comes through with the idea that he, he will not be loved in return, that final line is quite passionate. Um, still let me love, the imperative that's, that's used there, it seems maybe quite desperate as well um, and very, very forceful. So in spite of the isolation that he feels because of unrequited love, he still feels this, this yearning to continue to feel love. And then in stanza two, we have the image of the, um, the yellow leaf, the autumn metaphor that suggests that he feels his life is approaching its end. And um, we see a kind of direct contrast, the juxtaposition of the the positive images of flowers and fruits of love these are now gone and instead all that remains are the worm the canker and the grief uh, canker is a is the disease that, that rots an apple um and um and these are mine alone so there is no one to kind of share his his sorrows his suffering um he is left in complete solitude um at the end of his life and um you know the the continued use of the exclamation mark at the end of the stanza furthers this this feeling of of sort of extreme emotion of of desperation that's coming through the third stanza um focuses on this extended fire metaphor so um byron is describing a fire in his heart the fire on my bosom prays is lone as some volcanic isle. So his heart still burns with, with passion, but he has no one to share this, this fiery passion with. He feels that his heart is, is lonely as a volcanic isle. So he's using a simile there to compare 
his heart to some isolated island um and you know that reinforces his solitude that he is um already described in the previous stanzas and he continues the fire image in the next two lines no torch is kindled at its blaze so he cannot pass on this metaphorical torch instead all he's left with is a funeral pile which brings to mind an image of you know a a perhaps a um a cremated body um ashes that remain after a, after a body has been cremated so there is a, it's obviously an image of death um but a, a sense of perhaps a fire that has burnt out as well and then um in the f- the fourth stanza he continues with much of the same idea he lists the sort of range of emotions that he is unable to share hope fear jealous care um the exalted portion of the pain and power of love I cannot share. So he's unable to share his emotions with anyone and instead he wears a chain. So this chain is a metaphor perhaps for this sense of of, of restriction that he feels because he feels alone, that you know, he feels perhaps enslaved almost by his passions that he has, but but that he's unable to to share with anyone else. So the first four stanzas of the poem are very much connected. They um are are very sort of desperate they 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 are very um much full of sorrow but we will see a change that takes place in the next part of the poem so at stanza 5 a turning point is marked by um the word but but tis not thus and tis not here such thoughts should shake my soul nor now so he is effectively rejecting the sentiments that he's been expressing in the first four stanzas of the poem and he is now suggesting or he's he's outright explicitly saying that this is not the right way time or place to feel or express these fears and sorrows that he has expressed in the first four stanzas and that is because he is in Greece on the brink of battle and the excitement that he feels because of that means that he he is rejecting the other feelings that he has been describing where glory decks the hero's bier or binds his brow so um it is the glory of war that means it's not appropriate for him to be moping um as he has been in the first four stanzas a bier by the way is a, a kind of frame that a that a coffin stands on so it is the the glory that comes with death in battle that is very much the focus of the um the the last um six stanzas of the poem um and he reiterates how how full of glory it is to to fight and die um in war he repeats the word glory in the second stanza and he lists um all of the things he associates with an honorable death the sword the banner and the field glory and greece around me see and of course the alliteration there connecting the the concepts of glory and greece and we can see the kind of excitement and passion that he is feeling with the use of exclamation marks um of which there are several the reference to the spartan born upon his shield was not more free so he's referring to the ancient spartan ritual when um an injured warrior would be honorably carried off the battlefield on his shield 
And um, Byron says that, he, that that's, the Spartan was not more free. In other words, not more free than he feels. He feels um, this, this incredible freedom because he's, he believes he's now able to earn glory on the battlefield in Greece. And um, he repeats the command, awake, in stanza um, seven, awake, but not Greece, she is awake. And he seems to be very excited about that, the italicised is, you know, she is awake. Um, and that interjection there in parentheses. So he's excited by the fact that we, that Greece is awake. He wants to awake his spirit. So he um, he is using imperatives to command his spirit to wake up and be as awake as Greece is. And um, he's addressing himself, think through whom thy lifeblood tracks its parent lake and then strike home. So he is referring to himself and reminding himself of his royal ancestry. Of course, Byron is a lord. Um, he And he's he is reminding himself of his parent lake so his um his ancestry um through whom his lifeblood blood flows from so his lifeblood is compared to um rivers that that flow from this great lake um which is the metaphor for his royal ancestry so he is kind of stirring himself to wake up by reminding himself um of his noble heritage In the next um, stanza, he is again using imperatives to um, command himself, to command his spirit, this time to tread those reviving passions down, unworthy manhood. So he's referring to the kind of the unworthy passions that he was describing in stanzas one to four. He wants to tread them down, in other words, to suppress those feelings um, because, as he's already said in stanza five, they're not appropriate for um, this place and this time um, on the edge of war. And then in the next stanza, if thou regrets thy youth, why live? So this rhetorical question, I think, can perhaps be read two ways. Um, the obvious way of reading it is that it's a sen- there is a sense of, you know, have no regrets, live your life. Um, there's no point um, regretting your, your youth. You, you need to just live it to the full. Or... Alternatively, there could be a sense that if you do have regrets for your youth, from your youth, then there's no point living. You might as well seek death because death would be um, a better option to kind of restore the honour um, that perhaps you've lost because of the regrets of your youth. So, yeah, two two ways of interpreting that rhetorical question there. Um, and he refers to Greece as the land of honourable death. It's here, he says. So he is you know, reinforcing the fact that this opportunity to find an honourable death is right there in the present, in his current location. Um, And further imperatives are used up to the field and give away thy breath. So he is encouraging himself to go onto the battlefield and to, to give his life away, to give away his breath. And in the final stanza, he is encouraging himself to seek out a soldier's grave, which is less often sought than found. So he accepts that usually a soldier doesn't seek his, his grave. He, it, it finds him because he dies um, 
against his will in battle, but he is actually encouraging himself to, to find a soldier's grave um, for thee the best. So he believes that for himself, this is the best way of dying. Look Then look around and choose thy ground and take thy rest. So we have the internal rhyme there in that third line, then look around and choose thy ground and take thy rest. And I think it does create quite a sort of a, um, a gentle rhythm. It seems more peaceful. Um, look around and choose thy ground. Um, he can choose his own way in place of dying. And that is far better than dying in any other way or having death find you. The sense of control that he has, he can choose his own honourable death and take thy rest. So this honourable death will bring rest, it will bring peace.